Let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2. It's where we'll be spending most of our time today. We're working through the the series called uh, Life as a Believer. This is just a foundational class I think that all of us need at least once, if not to be reminded of it often, of uh, what we are to be doing as believers. We started out talking about our position in God, that we are saved by God. And then we looked at uh, communicating with God, that that um, we should both listen to God by hearing His Word proclaimed and also by speaking to God, as we uh, looked at last week. And this week we're going to talk about meeting with God's family. Let me uh, begin with the word of prayer, and then we'll uh, get started. Lord, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, and we're thankful for these foundational principles that we can learn today about um, the institution that You are, that You most enjoy, that You uh, take the greatest pleasure in, and that is the institution of the local church. Lord, we thank You for this church and for what it represents, and we want to be people who are representing Your character best. And so we pray that you would help us to be living in conformity to your word and to your desire and that we would uh, love you as we love nothing else in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you think of a church, what image comes to mind? There are several that the Scriptures give, but what, what images are there of the church in Scripture? Okay. Uh, one is a building, okay? God, uh, I think it's Romans. Actually, no, it's not. It's uh, um, says we are God's fellow workers. I think it's in Timothy. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The other one is a body. You've heard of the the illustration that Paul's used that we are the body of Christ, that each member joins together and and fulfills what each uh, part supplies. That's Romans chapter four, Romans chapter twelve, verse four and five. But the, the third image that we're going to look at today, we'll spend our time on, is the image of the family. That the church is is like a family. As Paul writes to Timothy, explains the the church not in the place that we meet, that that it is a building necessarily, but it's in terms of a family. First Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen, he says, "If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves." themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The key term here is household. Now, households are families, terms associated with family relationships. They're often used in scriptures in rich ways. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that God has chosen us to be adopted as sons. In last week's class, we discussed talking to God. And there in Luke chapter 11, remember the illustration that Jesus gave? It was that God was what? to He, he was a father. Remember, he, he said, uh, Jesus said, what would happen if um, if a son came to his father and, and asked for a loaf of bread? Would, would that father ever give him a stone? Of course not. And, and the point is, is that that relationship, no matter how your family relationship, uh, family relationships were growing up, the typical way that we think of families should be one of love, care, protection, discipline, unity, 
It should be a meaningful relationship. And so, our our goal this morning, our class objective, is to determine what is expected of us when we meet with God's family. Okay, what is expected of us when we meet together with God's family? So the first question we need to answer there is, what is the church? What is the church? First Peter chapter two verse nine says, "But you," and Peter is speaking to Christians. He says, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession." And then here's the reason. Here's the reason that we are that family. Why we're called out people? It is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So the church simply is a distinct community that is set up to display God's glory. Do you realize that, that God, God's primary way in which He displays His glory, His greatness, is not through His creation, although He does do that. The primary way that God displays His glory is not through your life individually, but it is in the corporate body of believers. That is what God is doing on this earth. That is the primary thing in which God is doing. That He is displaying His character, His greatness, His love, His grace through us. So we are really representative, representatives, or we could say even ambassadors of Him. We, as the family of God, the church, praise God and bring Him glory. I want to just mark out a distinction between the two types of church churches that are listed in the New Testament or they're given in the New Testament. The first one is called the universal church. Does anyone have any idea what that refers to? The universal church is not uh, explicitly stated in the Scriptures, but we understand it from reading the context and looking at the Scripture. But do, does anyone know what the universal church is? Trish? Right. It is all Christians from the time of Pentecost. That is when when the Spirit came on the church and the church began from the time of Pentecost all the way till when do you think? The rapture, exactly. So Christ's church is is known as the, the, the entire group of people all over the world from the time the church began all the way till the rapture is known as the universal church. Okay, So there is a bond that we have when we become a Christian, that we are automatically joined into this family called the universal church. And did you know that the reason that we join a church like ours is so that we can, we can uh, show that we are a part of the universal church. It's a, it's a display of what we've already done. It's similar to, um, maybe you're not familiar with these terms, but spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is when you are joined into the family of Christ through the Spirit. And it's basically the idea is when you become saved, you are Spirit-baptized. You, you are joined into this family, this union with Christ. And the, the, the way in which we, we display that type of union that has already taken place at salvation is through, what do you think? Called Spirit baptism? How do we display? Water baptism. Exactly. So the same thing, the same sort of correlation works there. That when we're saved, we automatically are spirit baptized, and so we display that through water baptism. Over here, what we're talking about is we're already joined into the universal church when we're saved. Every single believer is, 
but we display that, that joining that we have into the universal church by joining a local church. Okay? So a local church is simply a local congregation, a visible manifestation of the church. Now, we wouldn't be able to go to a universal church meeting and, and try to gather up all the people from, from certainly from the time of Pentecost all the way to the rapture since many of them are dead and some are not living. Um, so, uh, so this is a visible manifestation. That's what the local church is. is it, a, it is a visible manifestation of the relationship that we already have with Jesus Christ. Okay, does that make sense? That those terms are probably unfamiliar, but is that clear? All right. Let's uh, move on to the characteristics of the local church. And can I have somebody read Acts 2, 42 through 47 to help us get started? Acts 2, 42 to 47. Okay, Mike? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all, as everyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. All right. So this is the really the first um, record that we have of a church here in Acts chapter 2. And for a background, the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost and Peter had just preached his first sermon. He called, he called people to repent. And now what we find is what, what organizes as a result of that first um, pouring out of the Spirit and then preaching of God's Word. And what organized, which was something that Jesus had promised, was the local church, was the, the, the body of Christ, the Lord's family. And so the first thing that we see there in verse 42 is that they were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles or the teaching of God's Word. Specifically, it says the teaching of the apostles. In other words, the early church devoted themselves to what the, the apostles had to say about Christ. And remember, maybe, maybe you're not familiar, but the, the apostles were people who had seen Christ for themselves. That was one of the qualifications to be an apostle, was, we, was you had to see Christ. And uh, so that's why um, even Paul was later on called an apostle in addition to the 11 disciples um, because he had an opportunity to see the risen Christ. So these people are speaking on behalf of what they had seen in person. They're giving eyewitness accounts in several cases and, um, and so they're testifying about what they had seen about Christ. And the, this is an emphasis that comes at the very beginning which... Of, of the description of the church. Okay? Mike read all these different descriptions that they were baptizing, that they were breaking bread together. But the, notice the very first one. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I don't think this is by accident that Luke records it this way. That the very first 
thing that they did was they were they were devoting themselves to Scripture because I believe that this is the most foundational part of a local church. That we as uh, the believers and members of the body of Christ are devoting ourselves to Scripture because we cannot understand what God wants for us if we don't know what He has said to us. And so this is what they were doing. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, we find that the chief task of a preacher is to preach the Word, to herald and proclaim the Gospel. Now, the couple uh, benefits to learning God's Word, and we've gone through these before, so I'll go through them quickly, but uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, talk about how, or 2 Timothy, excuse me, um, talk about how, they, how you have known from the time that you were young the sacred writings which are able to, to help you and to, to help you to grow. And then it says in chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for... And then he gives these four things that it's profitable for. And then he says, uh, so that you will be equipped for every good work. So the first way in which the Scriptures benefit us is that they make us wise unto salvation. Wise unto salvation. Paul writes that the Scriptures make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So it is not some ritual or some program or some uh, man-made teaching, but rather the Word of God that gives us light and life. It is what provides us with the source of our, our spiritual life. Secondly, the Word protects us from ignorance and error. Okay, the four things that the Scriptures are profitable for in chapter 3, verse 16 are teaching and reproof. Okay, And these are basically what we ought to believe and what we ought not to believe, teaching and reproof. And then there's training in righteousness and correction. That is what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. So the Scriptures help us both in doctrine, what we ought to believe and not believe, and it, ha- it, it helps us with practice what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. Those are the things that uh, Paul tells us the Scriptures help us with. Then the third thing is that uh, the Scriptures equip us to good works. The verse 17 of that passage, 2 Timothy 3, says, "...so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." The more we're taught from God's Word, the more we'll mature. All right, so the... Word is profitable for salvation, for protection, and for, we could say, simply training. So if you've spent time at our church, you notice that everything that we do is built on, on properly dividing the Word of Truth. From our prayers to the morning sermons to Sunday evening sermons, Sunday school classes, um, Bible study on Wednesday night, even the lyrics to the song, we make sure that they are grounded in the principles that come from Scripture because there is nothing more important to the life and the vitality of the church than the Word of God. That is the most foundational thing and we have to make sure that we are taking careful or pay, paying careful attention to it. So the first um, description of a, of a healthy, vital church here in Acts chapter 2 is that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the, to the Word of God. Community of believers. There was a strong sense of community. Look at verse 44. 
And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they had property and possessions and were sharing them with The second thing to notice here is the strong picture of community. These Christians were not lone rangers. They were not trying to grow on their own. They were vitally connected to the local church, to each other. There was, uh, there wasn't just a bunch of individuals all separated, but rather they were uh, brought together in a group called the church. And the most notable aspect of the community is the idea of responsibility. That is, they gave of themselves, says together, and had everything in common. They were selling their possessions. Community or day we could say from church to church to find out what would suit them best. Well, this is what I need, so I'm going to get this here and this here. Rather, it was how can I help this group of of believers? And so, rather than a consumer type mindset, okay, what can this community of believers help me do? It's more of a provider mindset, isn't it? It is. I am going to give of myself so that other people will not have need. Service. Others, this is not indicating um, communistic that they were selling everything so that no one would have need. This was not a forced thing. Okay, this was not from the leadership saying you have to give of your stuff. You ha- let's just put it all in the middle and we'll spread it out. Okay, that's not what is going on here. Um, rather, it is it is a a voluntary giving of themselves. In fact, we can see a picture of what this looks like back in verse 32. Okay, look back to verse... I'm sorry. It's actually chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 32. We'll see what this uh, community type... Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each one as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means sons of encouragement, or son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then you remember the next story that develops there. Ananias and Sapphira saw the praise that Barnabas was receiving, and what did they do? Well, we want to be like Barnabas. We want to receive that sort of praise, and so we'll give money to the church as well, and we'll say that we sold property and gave all the money to the church. And of course, you know how that ended. But really, what lies behind this testimony of early Christians in Acts chapter 2, this communal type living, this, this uh, giving of themselves, is, is really helped for, or really laid out for us well with this quotation down at the bottom of your uh, page 1. They were so bonded that if one was in need, the others did not feel that they had the right to live on in prosperity without giving up something to meet the need. So they would sell possessions and use the money to meet the needs of the poor in the church. 
course, of course, this is a good model for us in terms of how we view and how we use what we own. So this thing that we see here in this description of the church is that they were giving of themselves in a communal type way. And in fact, our church covenant um, is is really founded on this type of type of providing type mindset. Um, we won't read the whole thing, but basically we have and we most solemnly most solemnly and joyfully enter into a covenant with one another as body in Christ. should follow their example were marked by a desire and a devotion to God's Word, first of all, the giving of themselves. Um, i trying to think of a, a saying that I the different um, ways of, of doing government. I think I just remembered it. It is um, the sharing of, let's see, the sharing of wealth is I'm not gonna remember it. The punchline's really funny though, but I'll have to I'll have to think of it and get back to you on that one. All right. The third thing is Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. All right, and that's found in verse 46. Verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. This idea of fellowship is a a um, is what characterizes this early church. You've heard that Baptist gatherings are usually designed for food, fun, and fellowship. Um, but the idea here in the in this passage that we're looking at is not the idea of just socializing, getting together, and and simply just uh, talking about the events of other. It's it's building spiritual relationships first and foremost. Right? And this is difficult to do, uh, especially when it's not been our habit. The, the easy thing to do is talk about um, things that don't really matter as far as eternity is concerned. But the difficult thing to do is develop spiritual relationships. And this is what their fellowship was marked by. It was a commonality in Christ. And if you think about it, that is the the most basic way that we are joined together. I mean, we we are all different people. We all have different interests. We all have have different backgrounds and different lives and different families. And the thing that joins us all together is is Jesus Christ and our commonality in Him. And so that's really what should be the foundation of our relationship. It cuts across all the socioeconomic age, marital status, and and uh, other barriers that are set up uh, that normally come between people. Uh, they they did meet together in temples. We see there in verse 40, it says that they met regularly. Okay, it was on a, on a regular in spiritual discipline church. Don Whitman. 
How many people were being added daily to the church? This passage that we read. I think it was 3,000. Yeah, verse 41. So then, those who had received His Word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, it doesn't mean that every day they were adding that many, but they had at least 3,000, so they weren't all joining together in one house. This doesn't mean Bible stuff, although it could include that. But what this is, is that this relationship that they had within the body of Christ, within their local fellowship, it spilled over into homes so that these relationships were becoming deeper and they were doing it with... Now, we try to foster fellowship in very specific ways. The first is the, the great time we have before the Sunday school. Okay, From 9.30 to 10 o'clock we have... That you can have opportunity to... To, to talk with other people and develop and deepen relationships. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that. We also have regular times of worship. We have the Sunday morning service, the Sunday evening service, which really is more of an intimate time than the Sunday morning. Sunday morning is, is a little bit more formal. And then Wednesday night is even more uh, informal than that. We have times for questions and uh, times where we can pray together as a church family. And so we foster this fellowship through those types of things. But there's also some other practical ways in which we do that, and that's through all these different activities that we have throughout the year. And so here's a couple practical tips for you. Okay, Maybe you're not an outgoing person. Maybe you, you, you don't easily develop relationships. Maybe you've been hurt before by other people and you don't want to, to, to deepen a relationship. Or maybe you do and you don't know how. What I would encourage you to do is simply take time before and after services and, and stay around and talk to people. Okay? Just, it, you can't get into deep relationships if you don't know people. So just, just take time to, to talk to people. And remember, don't worry about what other people are doing. They're, these people aren't pursuing me and asking about me. You take the time. If a person wants to have friends, they need to show themselves what? Friendly. Okay? So it really comes back to, to each of us. That we need to be each making an effort to, to people within the church, not just within a cliquish type way, but reaching out, really um, spending time with, with people whom we don't have a strong relationship. Then... Maybe the, the easiest way for you to develop relationships is to come to all the church activities. Okay, It's that simple. Come to the church activities. Some of the best ways that you can develop relationships is by just sitting across from someone else while you're eating or playing games, whatever type of activity we have. Just spending time with people, walking alongside them on the VBS float, handing out flyers. Remember that one time when we you know, got tripped up by those kids or... When that whole crowd of people, we couldn't get all the cards passed out, so we just threw a whole handful out. That's how you develop relationships. And I would encourage you to use these events that we have with our church and just coming regularly to the services, spending time with people, and uh, you will find you will be 
developing and deepening relationships within this church. And what you'll find too is that you'll be able to pray for those people better. They'll be able to pray for you better. And um, and, and it will be good for the the uh, reputation of our our Savior whom we represent. All right, any questions so far on what we've gone through these descriptions of the local church? All right, the next one is ordinances. And that's also found in verse 46. It says, day by day, um, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I think uh, there, there could be, uh, that could be actually eating meals together. It says they were taking their meals together with gladness and I think you go back to verse 42 and you'll see that that this is actually referring to the Lord's Supper. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Okay, this is a an ordinance that was set up by Jesus Christ himself at the last supper and it was commanded by him. And then the you saw the early church start to practice this this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. The other ordinance that we practice is called baptism, and that happens as often as we have people who are being saved and wanting to be baptized. And um, and so that is what a church should be doing, that there should be a regular time where we, we are remembering our Savior and what He did through the Lord's Supper, and we are baptizing those who are being converted. So I would encourage you again, we have a time once a month where we take the Lord's Supper together. And I would encourage you to be there for those services because you are commanded that as often as you eat together that you you remember the Lord's uh, coming and you remember His death. And that is the time in which you can do it at the Lord's Supper. Then verse 42, uh, prayer. You saw that at the very end. It also says that the church devoted themselves to prayer. And this is an intentional idea that they were doing this on purpose. That they weren't just kind of throwing in their pre-meal prayers. And so we at our church try to spend time at each each service praying for needs, praying for God's desire to be done, not just in our church but also around the world, that we're looking globally and universally that His His will would be done. And then we spend 30 to 45 minutes on Wednesday nights taking requests and praying for one another as well. Um, I won't go over all the aspects of prayer. We spent a lot of time on that last week, but I'll just remind you about the acrostic that that would be helpful in each of your prayers, and that is the acrostic of pray. Pray is the idea that you praise God. Praise God for what He has done. Okay, We don't just come to God and just start listing out all of our our demands. This is all the things that I want and need. Otherwise, we treat God like a, a, a cosmic vending machine. Just give me what I need. Rather, we should go to Him and praise Him as we would go before a king. We, we give Him homage for who He is and what He has done. And then secondly, R is for repent. We need to repent of our sins, recognize like Isaiah and others who stood before the presence of God that we are, are unworthy that apart from Jesus Christ, that our sin mars us and, and we are really not worthy to be standing before God. But we can repent and, and turn from our sins and ask for forgiveness, as 1 John 1.9 says, and God will forgive us. 
And then A is for ask. So we should ask God. Um, James chapter 1 says, that you have not because you you ask not. So we need to ask. God commands us to, to ask, to, to bring all of your burdens before the Lord. And then lastly, the Y stands for yield, that we should give of ourselves and our resources as we respond to the Scripture, that we should yield our attitudes toward God. So praise, repent, ask, and yield. All right, and then verse 43. The other description that we see of the local church is that they were marked by an evident power of the Spirit. It says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. We talked last week about the presence of the Holy Spirit and that it is a, a distinctive trait of a Christian that, that Christians are being changed by the Spirit, that they are displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And this only happens to believers. Um, now, the, here in verse 43, it's talking about wonders and signs, that is, miracles. And at that time, that's the way that the Spirit was displaying His power. But now... The Spirit doesn't work that way anymore because these gifts have ceased, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now the Spirit works through the believer. He uses His Word to change our minds and to cause us to think on those things. And um, so we, we see God's power through the Spirit. That's what the, the church should be marked by. And I think lastly and most probably most appropriately uh, in this place, it should be last, is verse 47, that there are conversions taking place. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Up to this point, besides the, the previous one, the display of the Spirit's power, all the other ones are really responses that we should have, that we are meeting together, that we are praying that we're practicing the ordinances. But now what we see is God's work happening. That as we teach the Word, as we learn the Word, as we love the Word together, as we live the Word, that the Spirit starts to, to do His work and conversions are taking place. That people are, are being called out of darkness and into to light. This is what God is pleased to do when people follow Him. That, that sinners are converted. And so our corporate life together should be marked by a loving commitment to one another. And this includes teaching, praying, the Spirit's power, and, uh, and, and building relationships. And the natural result will be, that, or I should say supernatural result will be, that God is converting people, that God is changing people. Notice how uh, our statement of faith reflects on what we see in Acts. We'll just read that bold part there at the beginning. We believe that a New Testament church is a congregation of baptized believers associated by a covenant of faith and fellowship in the Gospel, observing the ordinance of Christ, governed by His laws, exercising the gifts as set out in the Word of God. I think that in many ways helps encapsulate really what what is uh, distinctive what are distinctive traits of the early church and what should be of our church as well. All right, any questions on the descriptions of the local church and what our church really should look like?
Okay, let's turn to the back sheet, and that is the um, our commitment. Why it's so important. There's three reasons why new, why all Christians should commit to the local church. First of all, it's commanded in Scripture. Can someone read for me Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I have a volunteer, Trish. All right, if we profess to be Christians, we should be regularly in church. Again, using the family analogy, we as humans have a basic need to be connected to our families, and we desire to have meaningful relationships. And as Christians, our primary identity is now with a local body of believers. It should be. And so we should desire to be in that sort of fellowship. And so the reason that we should be committed to a local church is because the Scriptures command it. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But as, as long, but especially even as the, the day approaches of when Jesus Christ comes back, you should even more be, be a part of the local church. Second, secondly, it is an, okay, notice that word, an evidence of real salvation. It's an evidence. And I, I say it like that because just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a believer. But, if you're a believer, one of the evidence that you are one of the evidences that you are a believer is that you are coming to church. The local church is where the fruits of the spirit and love for others are most visibly cultivated and witnessed. John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 say, "A new command I give to you: love one another." And that's speaking of other believers primarily. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you look throughout the book of 1 John, you'll find that the primary way that we, the primary group to which we are displaying our love is to the local church. Okay? Certainly, we should love the world and we should um, uh, love our enemies, as the scriptures tell us. But the primary way in which your love is displayed as a believer, and it should be displayed, is in the local church. And that is how God displays His glory. Okay, Remember, we went back to the definition that the church is a distinct community that displays God's glory. This is one of the ways. By, by, displaying, uh, by, by us displaying our love to each other, we display God's glory and His love. And people look at a church like that and they say, that, that must be what God is like. God must be a loving God like those people love each other. Because that type of love is unusual. That is unnatural love. They love people and give of themselves like I've never seen before. And that type of love will uh, help uh, bolster and, and magnify God's glory. And the reverse is true as well. If we are people who are not marked by love, if we are people who are marked by individualism, and people are holed up in our own homes just like the rest of the world is for um, you know, several months out of the year, then we will be giving really the, the world a bad idea of what God is like. Because they'll say, well, look how that church acts. If that's the way that they act towards each other, then that's the way God probably acts towards me. It's a natural um, way that people look at, at the church. And so we really are in a very important position 
as representatives of God Himself. And this is how God displays His glory. So it's, it's a commanded in Scripture. It's an evidence of real salvation. And also it promotes spiritual growth and protects against sin. We don't have time to go to Ephesians chapter 4. This is a passage we've looked at before in this class. But it basically summarizes the importance of God's Word. That if, if, we're not going to be, if we don't want to be tossed around with every wind in doctrine as the winds of, of error come in, then we need to be involved in a local church listening, hearing uh, God's Word taught and preached, and uh, learning how to live it in our lives each day. Alright, any questions on the local church, how we should be a part of it, what our commitment should be? Alright, appreciate your attention today. I'll um, try to get you that really funny quotation that I was going to have for you today, but I just—I was thinking of it as we were going through, and I thought this is going to be hilarious and not really. Alright, let's have a word of prayer. Next week, we'll look at uh, meeting the world, our responsibility as a believer to meet with the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the institution of the local church that Jesus Christ gave Himself for. And we pray that we would love each other like He loves us. That we would display Your glory in a way that You would be pleased. Lord, we, we have all sorts of people in life that um, are representatives of us And we get frustrated when they represent us in the wrong way. And I can't imagine how how, um, terrible you must feel when we represent you in a way that you do not want to be represented. So we pray that you would help us to live up to the calling that we've received and that we would be loving servants of, of you, our Master, whom we've given our life, to whom we've given our life, and that we would, um, that we would be serving you out of a heart out of a heart of a devotion and love for you because of what Jesus Christ did for us we pray in his name amen well you guys got anything special planned today oh nice hopefully it's warm enough yeah no <laughs> we'll probably be inside even, so he'll probably go outside and grill right there. There you go. So how... Uh,